Okay, I'm going to be reading from Isaiah. Okay, we all stand up, please. Yeah. Okay, reading from Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Amen. Okay. Still 12. Okay. You said two in the. That's good. That's good. It's a great passage. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo, undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from, from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your, the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong, and you shall be like watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins will, shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> the life of a disciple of Jesus, including all of its rhythms and practices and everything that we're talking about in the Practicing the Way series that's taking us three years, and currently we're looking at this one practice of fasting. This is the last Sunday in that four-week series. The life of the disciple and all of its rhythms and all of its practices, they are never only about an individual's flourishing. They are about much more. Robert Mulholland, I quoted this a couple of times, in his book Invitation to a Journey, defines spiritual formation as a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. 
the biggest danger for us as we are focusing on spiritual disciplines or, or, or the practices in the way of Jesus, as we prefer to call them, as we're going on this journey towards Christ's likeness, the biggest danger in that is that we begin to treat it as a program for happiness and self-improvement. This is not what discipleship is about. It's ultimately not about us. We take the Sabbath for a day of rest and enjoyment. Oh, thank you, Lord. We take prayer for feeling close to God and seeing all our you know, effective prayer to see all our needs met. Not only are those who eat the fruit of your flourishing relationship with God the main beneficiaries of your spiritual formation, the journey of spiritual formation itself, for a large part, is about moving away from your own needs towards the needs of others. And we've also seen this in every practice that we've discussed so far. In the Sabbath practice, for example, Sabbath was a part of God calling Israel to a just society where there was a day off in the week for everyone, including the servants, including the workers, including the foreigners, including even the animals and the land. It was a, it was a practice of justice for everyone to have a day off because he called them out of slavery and when you're a slave, you never have a day off. And we've seen this also in the practice of prayer. Prayer is not just about you praying for your own needs. No, prayer is about you praying for the needs of others. That's called intercession. And so also in the fasting practice, it's about far more than what it does for you personally. We've been on a journey in this sermon series. The first sermon on, on fasting was about how it's, it's drawing us closer to God, how we offer ourselves to God, and then how it's helping us to grow in holiness. And then thirdly, how it's amplifying our prayers. And today... We're going to talk about this, this move outward through the practice of fasting. That is how fasting is helping us to stand with the poor. As we close off the message series on fasting today, we're going to walk through, through this beautiful but very con uh, confronting uh, chapter, Isaiah 58. And we're going to discover how fasting can actually help us to stand with the poor and grow in empathy for the underprivileged. In this chapter, the prophet Isaiah is speaking against, against the way fasting was practiced in his day. And there's a couple of things that he's tackling. Rugby thing. Tackling. He's, poof, tackling. <laughs> uh, I'm full of stupid jokes today with all the emotion going on. Um, so first is uh, the false humility that he sees. So the words that are used in, in Isaiah 58 um, remind us, not, not the first readers of course, but they remind us of the words that Jesus used in Matthew 6 um, to the Pharisees. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're fake. You're fake. It, it's, it's an outward expression uh, of something that's not supported by an inward reality. So you're, you're devoting yourself. You're like, I'm fasting today. And they pour ashes on and they, they dress in sackcloth. They're like, I'm fasting today, Lord. But it's, it's not supported by an inward reality of actual humility, of actual um, 
repentance. And so what, is, what Jesus is doing there is actually he's kind of reenacting what's happening in this chapter. In this, I, Prophet Isaiah is saying that, that the fasting that I'm seeing, it's, it's fake. You're, like you, you're, you're making a show of it, which is the exact opposite of what it should be doing. It should be about humility and it should be about justice ultimately. Is this the kind of fasting that you think I want, God says, really? Do you think it makes me happy to see you suffer, honestly? Do you think that's what this is about? Yay, that I'm, oh, look at you, you're miserable. That makes me so glad. Is that what this is about? Do you think that I'll take delight in your discomfort? I don't take delight in your pain and suffering, and certainly not if it's all for show. And so the second thing that the prophet Isaiah is tackling here um, is that their fasting was covering up a great injustice that was happening in their society and that they were taking part of. That's the emphasis actually of the whole passage, is that there is a reality in the Israelite society that their fake fasting is trying to cover up, but it's not able to do so. So on their national day of fasting, the Israelites, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, they would all fast. And it was the day that the high priest would go into the most holy place and they would do all kinds of rituals and stuff. And it was the day that they would ask for atonement. It was the day of repentance. It was the day of, okay, we're, we're very aware of our sins today and how we're in need to be made right with, with God. And so that's why they the high priest would go into the temple for that. And the, the whole, the, all of the people would, would fast as a, as, a, as a way to express that repentance. But the Lord here says, like, even on that day, <laughs> you're still taking part in the injustice that is all over your society, that's all over this country. You're still taking part in all of that injustice. Even on that day itself, you're seeking your own pleasure. Even on the day itself, you're partaking in the ongoing injustice. You say that you're sorry, but you go right on doing it. A little bit of context for why justice is so important to God and and why he's making such a big deal out of this here. Israel was called out by God to become a nation of justice. So God redeemed them from... Slavery in Egypt, suffering under injustice, suffering under oppression, living in slavery. And he took them out of there and he said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And when you get into the promised land, here's a whole law of how to live more justly. Yeah, how to, how to live as a, as a society of justice. And so... Um, Sabbath was part of that. The way they would treat the foreigner was part of that. The way they would treat the land was part of that. And, and, and something else was, I will not permit you to let people um, for multiple generations be in poverty, be in slavery. God installed every 50 years, you have to release all the people that have given themselves into slavery to pay off a debt, you have to release them, you have to set them free. Why? So that poverty would not go from one generation to the next generation. So, I mean, so God 
kind of permitted slavery. And slavery was not always slavery as we understand it today. Uh, in, in modern slavery or in the slavery that we're all repenting from in the Western world right now, it's taking us really long, um, that of the slave trade that we did over the, the 17th and 18th century and everything. Their, their slavery was a lot more human, but still, they were not free. They, were, they, were, they had to work for someone else to pay off their debt. But God said, that, that type of poverty and that type of slavery, I will not permit that for longer than one generation. But this, of course, didn't make it into their society. And so over centuries, slavery became a normal thing. Pe people being born in slavery and being slaves their whole life, and then their children becoming slaves. The injustice in this time, even Prophet Jeremiah said it was so bad that they would even make relatives their slaves. See, in the world today, we can see, I'm going to be very careful and, and brief with my words here as a, as a white, super-privileged European. Um, in our world today, we see how poverty and slavery has been transferred from generation to generation and generation. And how when that happens, it becomes a much bigger problem than just a lack of money yeah? and a lack of freedom. When slavery or oppression or injustice continues on from generation to generation to generation, it becomes an identity. It becomes an ongoing prison. It, it, it gets in the DNA of the people. Even after liberation, even, even after service-level justice then comes, it does not solve all the problems that, that oppression and slavery and that poverty has caused. So poverty and oppression that existed over multiple generations creates problems that take multiple generations to overcome. Poverty and injustice are devastating. And Israel was supposed to be a society that would stand out among all the nations in the world as a society where that kind of poverty would not exist. But the number two problem that the prophets address is injustice. Number one prof uh, problem is idolatry, obviously, all over the, the writings of the prophets. But the number two is this injustice and how much grief and how much anger it's causing in God to see that. And so God says, I really do not care about your fasting. I really do not care, he says elsewhere, about your sacrifices. Do you think I'm hungry and I'm turning to you for food? <laughs> I, you know, I don't need your sacrifice to, to feed. I, I I'm self-sufficient, trust me. If you want to please me, if you want to serve me, how about starting here? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God, Micah 6. <clears throat> and in this passage, God is also saying, it's about the fasting, he says, is this not the fast that I choose to lose the bond of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless, homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. In other words, if you're going to give up some comfort... 
to serve me, as you do with your fasting, with your fake fasting, then do it in such a way that it's actually doing some good. And that it's actually serving people that are suffering from injustice. The thing is, our God is a God of justice. <laughs> it's good to know in this time, isn't it? When stuff is going on, you're like, this is never going to come to the Hague. You know, these war crimes, these, this, this horror. Some seen in our news apps, some unseen, because it just doesn't make it. This is never going to appear before any judge at any point in time. But we know God is a God of justice, and justice is coming. He is the judge that stands out above all just, uh, judges. And one day, he will judge the whole world, every single soul and every single action. Everyone will stand before the great white throne of judgment. And those that are under grace will partake in the new heavens and the new earth. Those who have rebelled against him do not acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Do not acknowledge that he is a judge over the world, will be cast out into internal non-existence. And our God is a God that loves justice. And that means that he hates injustice. His heart goes out to the poor and to the oppressed. If you've read the Bible from cover to cover and you've missed God's heart for the poor, you've missed God's heart for those suffering under injustice, you need to read again because you've not paid attention. And so as ambassadors of the kingdom, we need to grow to have a heart for injustice, for those suffering under injustice. We need to grow to have empathy towards the poor. And you may wonder, like me, how is me not eating food going to help even a tiny little bit <laughs> to solve the problem of poverty? How is it going to help people who are hungry? How is it going to help people who are oppressed? In the Rule of Life podcast of Practicing the Way, uh, they give some really beautiful extra content to what you get in your discipleship group. Uh, so if you can find that in your, your wherever you do podcasts, um, the the episode where they talk about and interview someone on what it means to uh, to fast in in a way to stand with the poor, uh, Tyler Staten says uh, says this. I just quoted it from the from the podcast. Our hunger when we are fasting is an invitation to empathy. See, Scripture says about Jesus, we have a great high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. And so one way that I become like Jesus is that I am willingly discomforting my body in a way that other people are unwillingly discomforted in their bodies so that I can grow in empathy. It is going to be really hard for me to love the poor in the way of Jesus if there's not a sacrificial practice by which I am training myself to love the poor. 
Perhaps you're looking at the problem of worldwide poverty, or even just in the city, even just here in Groningen, in an overall well-to-do country. And there's a lot of poverty going on here, not to mention the poverty in your home country. Um, just taking a guess. What can I do? Give money to charity, volunteer at the food bank, make sure that I purchase slave-free coffee and bananas and chocolate and whatever else. But then what? What can I do? Fasting is a beautiful, God-given way that we can stand with the poor. To feel a little bit of the pain in our bodies of those who are going hungry. And to carry that pain through the day even when we don't really think about the poverty and the injustice anymore. So here's the thing, when I open my, when I hope, oh, yeah, good, okay. When I open my news app and I read about something of the injustice that's going on right now, I'm like, oh, whew. let's see what happens in sports. You know, can you relate? Or is it just me and you need to pray over me? That I, this is just me that needs that, that deeper empathy than, than, than the 10-second news report. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yeah? So I'm confronted with pain in the world, and perhaps we're also over-confronted with all the pain in the world because we get the pain of the whole world on our news apps now. But that's beside the point, perhaps. But we're... we're, we're it's, it, we're, we're quickly forgetting about it. Yeah, Our mind is not always there with it. And, and that's perhaps a good thing because you have a rest of your life to go through as well. But then fasting is a way to, to, to take that pain through the day. Even when your mind's not there, your body is still experiencing it. Your body is still experiencing that hunger that reminds you like, yeah, there's, there's poverty and there's injustice and there's people that are involuntarily growing hungry. So perhaps poverty is not a problem for you to solve. But a, a pain to feel. A reality to experience. So that you can feel how God's heart is beating for the poor and for the unprivileged. Underprivileged. And especially with food, because there's so much injustice going on with food in our world, right? There's an injustice in the distribution of food, just how it's distributed over the whole world. There's an injustice there. Pope John Paul II said, it's an equal right of all people to take their seat at the table of the common banquet. In other words, every human being has the right to access to food but it's not equally distributed over the world. And there's an injustice in the production of food. It's the slavery existing in much of the third world that makes overconsumption in the Western world possible. There's injustice in the handling of food, waste, overproduction. There's even injustice suffered by creation, that's both the environment and animals, they're suffering an injustice so that we can have cheap, overproduced food and meat on our plates. There's an injustice that's going on there. 
So it should not surprise us that through the regular practice of fasting, abstaining from eating food, that God wants to shape our heart for the poor and the underprivileged in us. It is a practice in which we consciously detach from the injustice around food that we're not necessarily completely guilty of, but still, we are participating in it, and to connect our stomachs to the fate of those who are going hungry. In the Africa Bible Commentary, which is written by 70 different African Bible scholars, I found this in their handling of Isaiah 58. It says, The exhortation to welcome the hungry, the homeless, and the destitute should again encourage the church to emphasize the strong African tradition of hospitality. Isaiah 58 verse 10 here says, Pour yourself out for the hungry. It can be translated as saying that we should give ourselves on behalf of the needy or that we should give our own bread to them. This instruction reminds us of the Yombi, it's a language they speak in Democratic Republic of Congo, of the Yombi proverb, Daya Lobula, which means that we should give our neighbor the bread that we, are, that's already, but we already have in our mouth. <laughs> we should not give the poor only those things that we do not want for ourselves. As Jesus emphasizes, we should treat others as we ourselves would like to be treated. I'm nearing the end of the message. Fasting can also be a beautiful way to respond to tragedy. And we've seen a lot of tragedy in the news lately. The ongoing war in Ukraine, the current conflict in Israel and Gaza. We recently prayed over Armenia and Azerbaijan. And there's other wars and injustices going on that I don't even know where it's exactly happening. I just vaguely know about it where the, 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 the suffering and the injustice is perhaps even worse. So what if we could respond to some of that tragedy that we see with fasting? See, when I look at the news now, I see the pain of the Israelis after the horrible terrorist attacks of two weeks ago. I also see the pain thousands and thousands and thousands of Palestinians in Gaza that are also being held hostage by Hamas and that are suffering under the actions of the Israelis. And there will always be many opinions about this whole situation. How to think about it, how to pray about it, how to post on social media about it, and what Christians should do and what side we should stand on. And that's okay. Those are good discussions to have. How about this? If you don't know what to pray for, if you don't know where to stand in this, how about this? How about we begin to stand with those who are innocent and those who are suffering? How about that's where we start? Yeah? How about that's where we start? We don't need a big theological discussion for that, to understand that God has a heart for the poor and the innocent and the suffering. Yeah? 
And I know that the situation is a lot more complex than that, also theologically. But I don't have the answers. Sorry, also not in the book. <laughs> but let our response to that start with empathy towards those who are in pain. And fasting can be a way to express that empathy and to, to grow in empathy. Towards we say like God, I'm I'm not really I'm seeing the pain and I understand that it's difficult, but I'm not really feeling it. How about fasting as a response? Say, Lord, let me feel a little bit more of your heart towards the poor. I should not touch this. Sorry. Okay, uh, there's a couple of practical things coming up. Uh, one today, right now, uh, that we can respond to this message yeah, because it's a bit of an abstract uh, message. So, firstly. Uh, consider how you can incorporate standing with the poor as you're picking up the fasting practice. As many of us are doing, we're beginning to do a once a week fast from dinner to dinner. Um, so that's just skipping over breakfast and lunch. It's doable, but it's painful by three o'clock. Uh, and you're wondering, why am I doing this? And as you keep on going with the practice, you work it into the rhythm of your life as a disciple of Jesus, that's going to grow. And, and, and Add this in. Find a way to, that you can add this in to, to, that, practice, to that day. How you, how, how, what it means to be standing with the poor. So one way perhaps to express that is that, okay, the money I would have spent on breakfast and lunch, I'm going to, and that may be one euro for you, that may be ten euros for you, it doesn't matter. I'm going to give that to the local food bank or so to serve people that are going hungry. Secondly, um, I'm gonna give you a couple of heads up, sorry, um, a couple of heads up about things coming up uh, that will be ways for us to, to express this heart for the poor. Uh, in the month of November, we're gonna do uh, several projects spread over three Saturdays with uh, Stichting Present to serve people in need in the city. Uh, so that's a beautiful way to do it. And so next week, Everyone who signed up for one of those projects, welcome to a meeting where we're going to discuss more about what that's going to look like exactly. Um, please make it a priority to be there. Uh, then on the 3rd of December, uh, we're going to have a guest speaker from IJM, uh, International Justice Mission, to do a Freedom Sunday uh, with us. Um, beautiful organization. We have been in contact with them for a really long time, and so we're going to understand a little bit more about modern-day slavery and, and grow a heart for this, this injustice, understand that. So that's coming up 3rd of December. And then in the month of December, we're going to collect donations here for the local food bank. Uh, they did an invitation to all churches in Groningen to, to do that in the month of December, so we're going to participate in that, so you'll get a chance to do something with this. We're also right now going to just do something very practical, um, with what we've been talking about. I want to ask you to, to stand. And uh, let's see how we're going to do this. I want to I ask that together as a church in small groups, you don't have to form them yet, we're going to pray together for Israel and for Gaza. Yeah? Um, beginning where I think we should begin with that, and that is that we stand with the poor, that we pray for those who are innocent and suffering injustice, suffering pain, who are in desperate need. 
And if you're up for it, you can also pray for a gospel breakthrough in the whole of that country and between Arabs and Jews. Um, you came to me with a word during the worship. Honey, if you want to uh, just share it briefly with us now, that would be beautiful. Yeah, please come. Um, yeah, I had a feeling uh, God was really putting this on my heart and I had to share this uh, verse with you. Um, it's uh, from Isaiah tw- uh, 62, verse 6. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day mm. or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. Mm. And I was thinking, like, we can feel so powerless when we hear the news. Um, but there is a very important thing we can do, and that is to pray and to keep praying, maybe three times a day, just shortly. But bring Israel, bring the people in Gaza, bring them before God, and pray for miracles. God can perform miracles. He has done this always. He can do, he can do this in this situation. But we, we are those watchmen on the walls. Thank you. So I want to ask us all to take our posts. Uh, so if you want to form small groups, three to six, whatever you're comfortable with, uh, we're just going to do that right now. We're going to take five minutes for that. And after that, we're going to worship again. So just form little groups and together uh, pray. Uh, pray for this situation.